today I'm talking to Riley Hughes, CEO of Trinsic. Trinsic is a full-stack, self-sovereign identity platform that makes sharing and verifying personal data online easier through verifiable credentials. Now, self-sovereign identity should ring a bell. We'll put a link in the show notes to a podcast with Drummond Reed. Drummond is the chief trust officer of Evernim and is part of numerous working groups around trust over IP, decentralized identity, and he co-chairs Sovereign's Governance Framework Working Group. Now, I say this because Riley was the second employee at the Sovereign Foundation, and he told me that excited him because it was where blockchain meets identity. I'm John Pryle, and welcome to Georgian's Impact Podcast. We're glad to have you here, Riley. So I'm going to start with a scenario on identity, and I need you to tell me if this is a good thing or a bad thing or both. So okay. my, my father's 94. He's in an assisted living home. He's doing all right, but I manage all his finances. And if I need to do certain things, I will get on the phone. And rather than go to the trouble to say, here's my power of attorney and I'm his son and that, that I just say I'm him. And amazed they let me get away with it because I don't think I sound like a 94-year-old, but <laughs> I, I know, of course, I know his birth date and his social security number and everything else about it. And I just pretend to be him and everything is much more efficient. Is that good or bad? <laughs> what do you think? Well, depends on which angle you're looking at it from. I think it's probably good for you. It makes your life a lot easier. I think uh, structurally, it's probably you know bad that that exists. It's probably bad that... In our world, you can essentially be someone if you know a few things about them, right? And and luckily, this is something that you and your father, obviously, that is something that nobody would say is wrong, but it, it would be wrong if you were a you know hacker in your parents' basement somewhere overseas or something who got this information from the dark web and was, you know, phoning in with that information, trying to pose being your father and wanted to open credit cards in his name or something like that. Obviously that wouldn't be good, but yet that happens all the time. Right. In fact, that's how my co-founder Tomislav got into this this space. His bank account was drained down to zero because somebody got a hold of a few bits of information about him, called into the bank pretending to be him and was able to drain his bank account down to zero. Now luckily that was all reversed and he was okay. Tomislav was okay, but they never caught the person who did it. And mm-hmm. surely that person has done that same thing to scores of other people over the years. And unfortunately, you know, that's, that's the world we live in. So overall, I would say structurally, that's probably not, uh, not ideal. I was hoping you were going to include that it was bad because every time I do it, I feel bad. I'm okay. For example, my, my wife and I log on to bank accounts and we have the same user ID a password that we share. But then we go to the next level down and you know we both log on to Netflix and it'll say who's watching. Of course now that that's a good thing and a bad thing because they're beginning to figure out who I am and what persona what I like to watch and vice versa. So I guess what does identity start? It should not start at login. It has to start before that, like identification so to speak. So what's your take of just what would you call identity? Well, I have been a part of hours-long conversations about what is identity and people discussing it and you know, people who spend their whole lives thinking about this question. It's really, you know, and there's a lot of philosophy behind it and everything. The way I think about it, my mental model is that identity is sort of some identifier and then the associated data to that identifier. And like the sum of all of that is your identity. So I think, you know, obviously people have an identity that's intrinsic to them, things like their gender identity or political identity or cultural identity. You have your identity with your family where 
you know, maybe with your family, your identifier is your face and the associated data lives in the brains of your other family members. And it's all of the, you know, sort of the sum of all of the interactions they've had with you over the years. And, you know, that is your identity in your family. But externally, right, when you walk into your bank, they don't have all of that, you know, years and thousands of data points of data about you to trust you. So how do they proxy that? They use some extrinsic identifier or credential like a driver's license or something like that to try to sort of bootstrap that same trust with or you. Sadly, my debit card and a pin code is about all it takes at the bank, right? I guess they look at my name and they say, please put your card in the slot, put your pin code in, and then we'll continue to deal with you. Kind of yeah. iffy. <laughs> yeah. And in that case, uh, the debit card is the identifier. And if you can prove ownership of that identifier with something like, you know, a pin, supposedly only you can do that. And you know, there should be a lot of fraud if truly, a lot less fraud if truly only you could prove that. Your intrinsic homepage says that you are the proof of anything platform. What do you mean? I think, you know, when you try to boil down what is the problem with identity online today, the problem is that you can't prove anything about yourself online, right? And in person, I can sort of go about my life and easily pull out a driver's license or something like that to prove who I am and get access to the things I need. But digitally, there's really no analogous to that. There's no version of me pulling out my driver's license and instantly you know, having a trustworthy kind of relationship with some party. Like, for example, there's no way for me to prove that I am actually over 21 or that my legal name is actually Riley Hughes or, or anything else, right? As a business, they need to hire some third-party data aggregator or verifier or whatever in order to check whether those things are true about me. And so the proof of anything platform is meant to invoke this, this notion. So we're a developer tools company, right? And so we're trying to get developers thinking about all the possibilities that are out there and the, the things that, that they could build here. We have people, you know, customers building things from COVID vaccine passport wallets to products for businesses to products for rural smallholder farmers in Africa. And it's like the opportunities are really, really broad. And that's why we have that broad characterization on the website. Nice. I like that. And I can guarantee you before this interview is done, we'll talk a little bit about medical and that type of anything that people need to prove as well. But before I get there, I guess I'm asking for maybe a, a verbal high-level architecture that there's a person there's an identity, there's a verifier. What are, the, what are the piece parts that a developer needs to think about when they're trying to do the right thing to ensure the, the right person is presenting the right information about themselves? Any developer is going to be like who's building an identity product has a stack of identity solutions, right? Like they may have a directory service that they're using. They'll probably have an authentication layer. They'll probably have you know, if they're a big enterprise, they'll have authorization and governance and other kind of policies related to access controls. And mm -hmm. they may also have, depending on the, the use case, they may have physical access control things like physical keys or key cards or things like that. If it's digital, they may have identity proofing technologies or, or data that they bring in from other sources. And so there's a, sort of a whole stack of things that a developer needs to think about depending on what they're building. If you want to make sure that somebody is, you know, it's the right person sharing the right thing, that's kind of where we're focused as a company. An area where it's a little underserved today with the sort of historical and existing solutions on the market. And the solution to that is an identity wallet. And so mm -hmm. we are really an identity wallet SDK. And as a developer, you can 
embed our identity wallet alongside your existing authentication and existing identity proofing solutions and whatever. And you can tie the data that lives in the wallet to things like the identifiers in your directory and the identity proofing that you've done according to your trust requirements, right? So if you're a big bank or something, you will probably have higher requirements for identity proofing and binding the wallet to the identity proofing that you've done than you will if you are working with immigrant farm workers in the US or something like that, right? Um, or if where- I walk into a bar and I need to say I'm 21, they don't need to know my name. Is there a way that I can flash my somehow digitally show my identity wallet and they get all they need to know, which is this guy's older than 21? Yeah. So that's called a zero knowledge proof and Mm -hmm. selective disclosure is another sort of name for that. But really, it allows you to share just what is needed for an interaction um, to establish the kind of trust that you need and and nothing more. And I, I like to give the example that obviously it would be inappropriate if... Well, it is inappropriate that every bar that you go to, you're sharing your full name, you're sharing your address, your height and your weight, and your driver's license number, and all these sensitive things. When really you just need to need to prove that you're old enough to get in. And wouldn't it be great if not only with with bars, that's an easy example to allude to, but but there are all sorts of examples across our lives where we are oversharing information because we have to. There's no other solution to that right now. So would it be initiated? by me, where I go to a bar, I open up my, my app, my identity wallet and say, send my age? Or do I just say, here's my identity? And then the back end, the, the guy behind, the person behind the bar says, give me his age. Does, it, is it, does that matter? Is there, is there a nuance there that I, I would think I'd want to go, here's my age. I, I would want to aggressively declare what I want to share, I guess is the, the key. In the scope of Trinsic and mm-hmm. what we offer, obviously we are a developer tool company, right? So as a developer, you could build any all of the above experiences um, if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. What we see being most successful is something akin to like an Apple Pay kind of experience where you sort of walk up, tap your phone, scan a QR code, whatever, and you have a little pop-up that says, the bar is requesting to know whether you're over 21. Yeah. And you just hit, yep, that's what I was wanting to do. And, and away you go. I like it because then I don't take the action. And if the bar wanted yeah. more information, they want your birthday. No, no, I don't need to get a free drink on my birthday. I will say no to birthdays. I just, yep. you just need to know I'm 21. That's very cool. And the verification then um, happens where? Because obviously the bar, it has to go to, a, is it, does it go to intrinsic to determine that, to do the math, do the, do the calculation on my age? Everything we're talking about here is built on open standards. And so the bar could pick up some open source code and use that. They could use a vendor like Trinsic. They could use a product developer like one of our customers, which is actually what is most likely, right? The bar is probably not planning on hiring an an engineering team to pick up open source code and like run their own cloud platform there. Um, So likely they're going to use some product from someone who's, you know, sold it to them. And that product is going to sort of handle the verification piece. And so if it's with Trinsic, right, like one of the things we offer is resolution and verification of credentials. And so if that credential was issued anchored to any number of blockchains, or if it was issued off chain or or whatever, we can sort of resolve the public keys, do the verification, uh, verify the, you know, cryptographically, the zero knowledge proof is valid and return that value back to the person behind the counter at the bar. Let me go beyond the bar and my age. And I want to acknowledge 
that we have lots of data that's already been collected and it will continue to be collected and it's in centralized places. And sometimes I'm okay with that. For example, I have an electronic toll pass and that organization knows my travels in quite some detail. But my assumption is as long as they don't share that data with, I don't know, Facebook or Google, maybe I'm okay with it. What's your take? You want those assurances, right? You want to know that the data is siloed and that it won't be hacked. The right. problem with a single centralized provider is I don't think you can get either of those assurances. Oh. They could come out and say, we're not going to share your data, but then it turns out, oh, we just got something leaked and turns out the thing they said isn't reality, right? And yep. that's always a possibility and there's no way to know whether, you know, they're, I mean, you have to just trust them, I guess. And, and when there are all sorts of companies where public statements don't maybe match the internal realities. So you're taking me down the path from centralization to decentralization. So let's talk about decentralization identity and, and, and what that means for people. Yeah. Decentralized identity is really this concept that the way we do identity in the real world can be mapped to the digital world. Like in the real world, I have a wallet I have cards and credentials and attestations inside that wallet. And as I go about my life, I pull things out of the wallet as needed to you know, live my life. And it generally works okay. I mean, obviously, there are issues with people forging driver's licenses and, and things like that. But overall, the, the model, the pattern, it um, works relatively well. And so the decentralized identity movement, or um, it's often called self-sovereign identity, is this notion that as a person, you can have a digital wallet and you can put same thing, right? Cards, credentials, attestations, whatever inside that digital wallet. And as you go about your digital life, you can use those to access the things that you need. Like I mentioned, there's product builders have a stack or a suite of identity mm -hmm. tools that they can mm -hmm. bring to bear. And if they needed to bring some of those other tools in, into the picture, they, they still could. But um, at least as a user, you hold your data instead of it being held on a tech company servers that could, could be hacked. And you only share what you need to. So let me just talk about some service and it's enabling self-sovereign identity already. And I've got my digital wallet in my hand or on my phone and perhaps I'm using face ID. And there are many ways that I can actually prove this is really me. And by the way, this is what I choose to share with this service. It could be the IRS, for example. You know, Once I'm in, boy, do they have gobs of information about me. Now, in all cases, I do whatever needs to be done to authenticate myself, however many layers they might want. Yeah, and like they may want some of that data for whatever reason, but the key is that you would have to consent to sharing it. And you know, we talked about you wanted assurance that it is siloed and it's not going to get shared outside of it, right? But in the U.S., we don't have laws like GDPR that require companies to really, you know, implement sort of enforcement of those types of things. So theoretically, your data could be taken by. IRS or any number of other third-party providers. And once it's there, it could be sold to other companies or it could be used for internal, mm. uh, whatever other purposes that it could be used for, right? And so with decentralized identity, it doesn't mean that the IRS doesn't ever see any part of your identity. Identity is always a relationship between two parties, right? It's an interaction. And so you're going to be sharing something with the IRS, but maybe what you share is proof that this biometric is linked to the driver's license that you also own instead of here is all of my biometric data, mm. here is all of my driver's license data, here is everything, you know, here, here are the keys to the kingdom, so to speak, right? Very different. Yeah. So I, I pulled an example up, a intrinsic example, which I think it was simple and I just wanted to talk through it with you. Uh, it was using Eventbrite intrinsic. So a new attendee registers 
They go to Eventbrite, they register. Next step is credentialing via Trinsic. So Trinsic does the credentialing. And then the next three steps appear to be quite normal in terms of what I would expect. I didn't know about as a new user would not have known about credentialing intrinsic. Then it says, I create a webinar registration and I send you an email. So I really like that idea. My question to you is Eventbrite has a relationship, hopefully a trusted relationship with their registrants. They get the emails, right? Trinsic doesn't get the emails. They're using Trinsic as a toolkit and they now they will be given my email from me or from you. I'm just curious again how we're sharing information. I'm, I'm really learning this process of what how I'm giving things up to somebody. If you remember for a moment that Trinsic is simply an, a developer tool, right? An mm-hmm. API. Mm-hmm. You know, you can imagine an event producer who wants to do the, you know, ticketing or whatever via Eventbrite, but maybe there are other related events or there are other sort of use cases for this event credential. And so what they could do is they still want to use Eventbrite to like collect registrants, collect the fees, whatever else. Um, but then they could give an event credential to the user in the form of a verifiable credential in a digital wallet. And mm. when that happens, the user can then use that for whatever they want. Just like if I have you know a ticket that I get from a paper ticket, maybe I take that down to the local Starbucks and they have a 10% discount for anyone who's attended that conference, right? Or maybe there's, you know, maybe I can use that to, I mean, it's like a ski pass or something and I can use it at other related mountains or something like that, right? Even if those other related mountains have different databases and different systems and different architectures and cloud systems and whatever, when the user has the credential in their hands, um, they can take it anywhere that it's accepted and for, for any reason. And it's really an, a new kind of enabler, right? It can enable new use cases that really don't exist today. Like I'm never taking my ski pass and using it at the movie theater, for example, because that's just, it's not something that's really doable today. But using decentralized identity, you could imagine all kinds of new use cases that that don't exist today could emerge because of that level of interoperability. Yeah, I, I love that using the word credentialing because uh, I was thinking of credentialing. I take a, a, a course, I get certified as a programmer of XYZ, and now I have a credential that's been issued by an authorized educational institution, and I carry that credential around with me, and I can do things with that credential. I can show it to my potential employer. I could show that validation of a ski pass to a store and get a potential discount without having to pass a card around. And so credentialing really is the is the anchoring in some, some relevant piece of information about me. And that's, we're going back to the original question, proof of anything. We could put whatever we want into that wallet, whatever makes sense. And you're right, the opportunities seem quite endless, which is pretty exciting. Yeah. And I really like to think about it in terms of, uh, if, if you kind of think back 20 years ago or something where the internet really democratized publishing, right? Or writing. So anybody could be a publisher and, and write on a blog and and get an audience. And and then fast forward 10 years from then, and we have crypto and you know it democratized finance where anybody can hold value. You don't need to be sort of in a banking system or something like that. Technology has this, this trend toward democratizing things that once had gatekeepers in front of it. And I think what the proof of anything thing, if you if you kind of take it to the logical end state, what it means is that we don't eventually we won't need the quote unquote gatekeeper of a driver's license to exist and and go about our lives because the only reason driver's licenses are an identity document that anybody cares. I mean, it's meant to prove that you can, you passed a driver's test <laughs> when you were a teenager, for goodness sake. And like, why are we using this to open bank accounts? Well, it's because 
It's because it's something like people trust that the DMV did a good job vetting you before they gave you this card. And really, it's, that's it. It's just because people trust the, the DMV's processes. And because nobody else has transparent processes, because nobody knows whether the ski resort did any vetting on me. They don't know what the university's vetting was on me. They don't know what my you know, church's vetting was done on me or whatever. Like None of this is transparent. So they couldn't accept any of those other kinds of credentials. They only can accept you know, driver's license or passport or whatever, because they trust the process behind the issuance of those documents. But as soon as we can decentralize this, yep. there's additional transparency into both the process through which these things are issued, as well as the sort of cryptography and the technical trust can be there so that eventually, you know, this is a little longer term, but instead of needing a driver's license to exist, if I could just take all of my information from the reputation that I've built up over, you know, on Uber and the, you know, credentials that I have from a few different, you know, places in my community where I've served and whatever else, right? I can sort of take all these different facets of my identity and, mm-hmm. and, and create a, a single proof without sharing maybe any of this sensitive information, but I can prove that I'm a legit person who has this identity that's been built up over years and that can sort of disrupt or, or democratize the current model of identity, which is just bound in government paper documents. And government in those processes. It, I love that you, we, we got to this point of trust. And it's funny you mentioned driver's license and passports, which may be a little more rigorous in getting a passport. And then you go to the next level and you want to get your global entry and you become part of a trusted traveler program. And there's, there's the T word, which is kind of neat. So what do you see then as a kind of a digital trust ecosystem? A digital trust ecosystem is, I think, the concept that there's a set of organizations that you know, trust a certain process. And uh, so, so in the trusted traveler program, right, maybe there are customs offices all around the world that trust the process you had to go through to get this trusted traveler credential or certification. I right? took an interview. I had to talk to a, a real person to get there, right? And you could imagine digital trust ecosystems or, or trust ecosystems for all kinds of other things. Visa is a trust ecosystem, right? Mm-hmm. It, they, it's There are merchants that are willing to accept cards that are issued by banks. And it, it's sort of the way that trust works in the real world. And we can sort of now finally digitize that that model and, and, and abstract it you know, away from just payments or away from just travel and apply it to any use case under the sun to enable people to access more things that they need. So let me ask you a question against the negative side of things. There is the the argument that says the worst thing we can have in the world of social networking is anonymity because people really become troll-like when they're anonymous. And of course, I'm a huge fan of not that. And everyone should register. We're, we're investors in open web. To me, I think that's, that's a very interesting direction that goes. They always make the argument that says, be careful, though, because if you get rid of all anonymity, and you're a reporter in Ukraine, you're at risk. Or if you're a yeah. gay person in another country, you're at risk because now you're identifying yourself. Yep. And now you have to go through a, an exception process to stay anonymous or not allow all these credentials to come out. In a digital identity world, you could almost do that. You need the ability to create different identifiers for different contexts. Mm. So- if you reuse the same email everywhere, 
if I reuse my email with my local Target and with my bank, then Target and my bank can go behind my back and say, hey, this email did this with me here and this email did this with me here. And therefore, let's, you know, maybe my bank can say, oh, we see they've been shopping at Walmart and they bought all this stuff and they can share that with Target and Target can use it to target me or something like that. Right. And like, so conceptually, you need the ability to be able to have different identifiers for all of your relationships. Every relationship should have a different identifier so that nobody can correlate me behind my back unless I share correlatable information, like I choose to consent to sharing my email or something like that. So you do need, in my opinion, anonymity in terms of the identifier that is used. The interesting thing is the internet is full of technologies that help people be anonymous. And it's full of companies that are trying to help companies verify things about people. But the lacking thing is a tool to let me prove that I'm actually Riley, you know? Yeah. Like, let me prove, let me share information when I want to. But the people are like totally left out of the equation right now, except for like privacy tools, right? Like there are privacy tools for people, but there are not tools to help people strongly identify themselves when they want to be identified. Identity is really complex and it's, there's no one size fits all thing, right? So I think that's why the key is every relationship, every domain needs a different identifier. And then the data that you choose to share, you know, needs to be consented to, and there needs to be good sort of governance And we also, I think, need regulation to control kind of like once I share my information with Target, preventing Target from going and then, you know, selling that elsewhere and kind of polluting or correlating me behind my back or whatever. That's great. So let's talk hot trends. Just tell me a little bit about how you see identity evolving in Web3 and perhaps even the metaverse. You know, I don't have a crystal ball, but I do have some thoughts about, you know, identity is critical to any society or system or whatever, right? And, and if we are, if we're hopeful that Web3 and the metaverse and things like this will take off, we'll need a good identity layer. And that is more than just a public-private key pair, right? I mean, yeah. identity is complex and it needs to be done right because it's seriously impactful for people. When it's done wrong, it can be very harmful to people and really impact their lives, right? So it's really important that we do identity right and that we have cross-functional kind of groups of people who are, who are working on these hard problems to, to ensure human rights and things like that in, in the future of the internet. But you know, to sort of simplify it down to its essence, I think that people are going to have digital wallets and those wallets are going to have money, like crypto, and they'll have assets like NFTs, right? Mm-hmm. And they'll have identity, which are credentials. Many types of credentials. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And just like I assume people, in the, you know, eventually will have many types of NFTs and people will have, you know, currencies, right, for various things. And so, you know, when you fast forward to that, that state and you think about living your life in the real world and, and as the real world and the digital world, the lines blur between those two spheres and we start talking about the metaverse, you need all three of those things in order to live a real life in the metaverse. And also I would argue in the real world. I mean, if, if you take something that's really tangible, a really real world experience, like, I don't know, imagine you get off the Elon Musk spaceship on Mars, our first <laughs> Mars colony. And, you know, do you think that we're going to really pull out a laminated card out of our spacesuit to prove who we are? Like, you know, identity is going to be a lot better than it is today, right? We're going to have digital forms of identification, payments, proof of ownership of, of assets. Like that's, that's the future, right? 
And I was excited that I had an RFID chip on my ski pass versus having to show it to somebody. But I think you've given me a much broader view of the future. Riley Hughes, it's just a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Yeah, thanks a lot, John. 